Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for Olympiakos FC and the Greek Super League. My name is Peter Thompson. We are here with the sixth midweek series where we'll be covering all sorts of Greek football. I'm here with Lambros Sirmos, Adi Bulubasis, and a returning special guest, Stephen Koduru from Hellas Football. Folks who have watched Stephen's first episode where we discussed the national team will know that he did such a good job that he's earned himself a second invitation to the pod. Stephen, how are you doing today? Yeah, also they say, hi guys. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for having me back. It's, I've been really looking forward to coming back, especially now that Olympiagos have qualified for the Champions League group stage. So uh, yeah, like I said, very, very excited to talk about that. Woohoo! Yes. yes, we've done it. Got after, a second call up. <laughs> after another, another <laughs> qualification campaign. We've made it to the, uh, the Champions League, and we'll have all sorts of stuff to talk about there. Before we get into that, because some other Greek teams have also been in action, some more fortunate than others, uh, we do have a few special guests to announce. The first will be taking place on Sunday, October 11th, where we will be joined by a correspondent from Olympiakos France. You can follow them on Twitter, at OlympiakosFR. That's Olympiakos with a K. And then on October 14th, we will be joined by Agona Sport and Hellas football contributor Greg Gavalas, who is an Ike contributor, I believe. He does the famous forward reviews of Super League weekend matches. He will be our first non-Olympiakos guest on the midweek soccer series. So we are really excited to continue reaching out and connecting with other Greek football communities in English. After that, on Sunday the 18th, we will be having Konstantin Levoyanis, another previous special guest who will be making his return from Olympiakos EU. So that's another one that we're very excited for. You can follow that account at Olympiakos EU, and that's Olympiakos with a C. Additionally, on Sunday, October 25th, we'll be joined by Theo Buras from Agona Sport, which is another one that we are very, very excited about. He is an Olympiakos correspondent. He's written all sorts of articles commenting on issues relating to Olympiakos and Greek football. So he's going to have a ton to talk about. We're really excited for that one. And lastly, we would like to say thank you, as always, to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International is not just a one-stop shop for all importing and exporting needs to Greece and other countries, but they're also a source for all 220-volt appliances and electronics. For those who may not know, most countries outside of the United States or Canada use a different electrical system. So if you're moving overseas and want to bring the quality American appliances that you're used to, reach out to Piraeus International. They work alongside a network of retailers across the country that specialize in appliances that work in Greece or other European countries. Check them out at www.piraeusintl.com, spelled like the port in Greece, or give them a call at 410-675-4696. With that, Lambro, I believe you've got a whole heap of transfer news for us, starting off with Olympiakos. Guys, this has been one of the craziest weeks in transfer news, and we're not done yet. I have a lot of news to bring you. Who knows how true some of this stuff is, but we're trying to give you the most legitimate stuff we got, so we brought it down to a few things. So starting off with people heading out, we have Svetsvar Markovic, the young Serbian youth international who came from Partizan. Supposedly he's going on loan back to Serbia and Partizan. Another story that we saw spark 
yesterday evening, actually this morning, uh, Coach Pedro Martins was seen speaking with Fabiano, Fabiano, the goalkeeper from Ammonia. If you guys remember, he made, had a fantastic game against us, saved a ton of amazing chances. It would be interesting if he comes in as a second-choice keeper. Another interesting story that broke this morning, everything's breaking this morning, I have to say. <laughs> An offer from Qatar for El Arabi, some sites saying close to up to 10 million euros for that. Olympiacos came out and made a statement, said that they're not willing to sell El Arabi, which is good to see. Another story that broke actually last night after the Ammonia game, and some fans were joking, Olympiacos may be taking a souvenir back from Cyprus. Musa Altamara, a winger from Apoel, is expected to sign at around 2 million euros. It's possible that he could be loaned back to Apoel for a year. A lot of people are calling him the Jordanian Salah. We'll see about that. We've seen a lot of nicknames in the past. An ongoing story is Fiorentina returning to us with a better offer from Madi Camara. If any of you guys remember, Madi was the subject to a lot of rumors of Fiorentina. Supposedly Fiorentina made an offer of around 15 million euros. It's expected that they may come in for north of north of that soon. A new rumor that broke this evening is a player from AC Milan. His name, I believe, is called Laxalat. He is a Uruguayan, Uruguayan correct, international. He's a left back slash left midfielder. In Italy, they like to play with five at the back. Sometimes he plays at that wing back position. This is a really interesting case. I think this guy's quality, AC Milan, just bought him two, three years ago for 15 million. If we could get him in, that would be... That'd be something. The Ruben Semedo saga continues. If anyone's been listening to the podcast, I know it's been Benfica. It's been new contract. Well, the news from tonight says that Ruben may be negotiating a contract renewal as we speak. It's looking that the new renewal could be the route he takes instead of leaving for Benfica. How the tables have turned, that's crazy. Another story we've been looking at. Oh my God, how many stories do we have? Tiago Silva, Nottingham Forest uh, player, looks like he's coming in by the end of the week. We heard rumors of he him swapping with Cafu. Of course, Cafu has played the past two European games and the league game scoring. Sounds like he's heading out and Tiago Silva's coming in. Moving on to some French players leaving the club. Uh, Sabanis, I think his name is, the goalkeeper. He's a youth, Greek youth international came in from Pauk last summer. Looks like he is going to uh, be heading out on loan somewhere. Last year he was on loan at uh, Nottingham Forest. He was playing in their youth team, I believe. Bobby Allen, our favorite goalkeeper, looks like he's leaving. Who cares where he goes? Moving on, Andrutsos. Looks like it could be a loan. Looks like he may be leaving permanent. Who knows? The player we've spoken a lot about. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. I'm hoping for a loan. I still think he has something to bring to this team, but we'll see. Finally, some academy players are actually looking to head out. I know one, uh, Christian Belic, I think a Serbian youth international who came in from the West Ham Academy last year is looking to go out on loan. We'll see where he goes. He's an interesting prospect. And if you've been following Olympiakos, you know that they're looking for a winger. And we have names, names, names. We have El Ghazi, Arujo, the former Ike player. You have uh, Bolasi, as we were talking about. There are names. Well, Buffal as well. There are just so many names. It's difficult to keep Gary up. Gary Rodriguez. Um, yeah, I didn't hear that one. Um, moving on. Names. Lots of names. Didn't hear that one. Another interesting, a central half. Socrates Papastathopoulos may be coming into the team. It's a, 
We'll see about that one. It may be expensive. He's on big wages, but he has the connections to the club, to, to be honest with you guys. He's close friends with Vasilis Torosidis. He's been on multiple times on the channel Mega, which is owned by Olympiakos owner Mainakis. Um, unclear uh, whether where this could be going. I think he would prefer to go to Italy. I read that Napoli was sniffing around. We'll see. Finally, a strange sort of story. Uh, a winger named Alexandros Nikolaias, I believe is how you say it, was purchased from Yanina for 300,000 euros. He's recently loaned to Larissa for two, two years plus a third year optional. Kind of weird as he's 26 years old. Unclear what his future is. I don't really get this move. He signed a three-year contract with the club also, so it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, it's a strange one. Um, we'll see. Maybe he's the next Masuras. Maybe not. I'm going to guess not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We do have some <laughs> teams. Just, uh, it seems Olympiacos have really dominated the transfer scene. Uh, and partially their fault because they kind of waited a while to sign a lot of players that they've needed. But moving to Atromitos, they have signed Olympiacos player Lazaros Chrysodlubulos. Uh, permanently, so he will be coming in to Atromitos. There were some rumors that he might end up in the Middle East, but he's staying in Greece. Ofi uh, have discussed bringing in Olympiakos midfielder Thanasi Sandruzos on loan. As we've talked about, we don't really know what the deal is because he might potentially be leaving permanently. They have additionally been rumored with a free transfer from Pauk Kostas Baroyanis. Moving to Larissa, they have signed Nikos Gotsamanidis on a free transfer. He's a former Olympiakos Academy player, a 19-year-old center back. Could be an interesting talent for them. Also interesting because obviously we've had some dealings with Larisa in the past, including loaning out Markovic there the previous season. Moving over to Aris, they have had advanced negotiations with Ergis Kase, who was a former Pauk player. He's available on a free transfer. He's been released. He was loaned to Larisa last season. Additionally, they may be looking at Red Star player Mateo Garcia, who I believe has had links with Olympiacos in the past, uh, and that purchase is looking to be about 1.65 million euros. Now, I want to head back to Lombros because I know he has a really interesting story about the best player in Greece and the transfer saga. I mean, this guy, he's, he's self-proclaimed the best player in Greece. Lombro, tell us what's going on. Yeah, guys, so the best winger in all of Greece... Everyone knows who he is. Amar Warda, Egyptian international. Huge talent. Supposedly had offers from Olympiakos and Aris, only according to himself. Signed a massive contract with Volos, one of the biggest teams in Greece. He, uh, he gave a massive interview in which he went on and on about how he's the best player in Greece. He even went on to some point about how him and Zlatan are similar as they both got coronavirus and how he was unlucky and he would have played for Pauk in the Champions League qualifiers. One of the best interviews I've ever seen. This is this top player. We finally found someone less reliable than the Greek press. <laughs> I mean, this guy just that's seemed a, to, 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 to just spit lies left and right. I mean, it was honestly a bit impressive. Uh, it's amazing. He even said that he was like a son to Savidis and that Savidis loved him like one. Amazing. But there were other forces at Bauk that wanted him to fail. You know, I you mean, know. He, he chose to play for Volos over Adis or Libyakos, guys. 
I, I guess it's just like a big fish in a small pond situation. I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> maybe, maybe he wanted to prove himself in a club like Volos. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but either way, we'll see how he does. <laughs> Warda has been in Greece for like six years now. <laughs> He's been here forever and like... I don't know. He had that one good season at Atromythos and he thought he's like the best player ever. And he's just a punk, to be honest with you. Guys. He really I, is. Yeah. He's just, but this interview was just hilarious. It was like the narcissism and ego were so big for a player who plays for Volos and was like never done anything in his career other than like play a few times for Egypt. It's, it's kind of impressive. Just a funny story overall. Speaking of him playing for Egypt, I'm pretty sure he was in their 2018 World Cup squad, if I recall. I think he did play. If I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he did play oh, that. I know. Um, I'm not competition. sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, like we said, he, he had a really good season at Adromidos a few seasons ago, and he clearly thought that after that, he would be a mainstay in the bulk like, squad or even the first team, depending on how big his expectations were. And, it hasn't really worked out for him, and you know all, all the best to him, but he's not—he's not a high enough level of a player to even play for Bulk, in my opinion. Was he playing for Egypt before or after the alleged photos of him partying that he says does not did not happen? But it's clearly him partying and drinking in Mykonos. Okay, so this this is another part of the story. Just to wrap this story up, Warda was accused of partying in Mykonos, and that's why he didn't make the Pauk team. Warda replied, the only drink he drinks is Fredo Espresso, and he drinks it Skepto without any sugar. So it, 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 it's hard because he literally posted on his Instagram him partying in Mykonos and drinking. So that's another story, but <laughs> just, the, just the calamity for him. Um, We'll see where this goes. He's kind of like a fun person to have around the Super League. You know, some of those personalities that when when we randomly play Volos or whatever, you kind of notice Warda talking to the players and kind of making it more interesting, you know? Yeah, well, you know, we'll see how he gets on at Volos. Certainly we'll have more opportunities out there. But let's get to the more pressing issues at hand. Obviously, we had some European fixtures just really in the last couple of days here, the first one that we would like to discuss is Omonia and Olympiacos. Now, admittedly, I will admit, I did not get to watch this game. I had to teach that afternoon. So I'm going to rely on the other three folks here for more of the analysis. Uh, pretty much all I have is, uh, is just reading through the group chat after the game and, and hearing Lambro mistake Jan and Villa for other players on the team over and over again. But I mean, it's a decent result. But at the end of the day, it's got us through. So, you know, Lambra, what are your thoughts? How dare you, Peter? How dare you? Jan and Via, <laughs> probably my man of the match. I, all the passes he made were definitely him making those passes. <laughs> and the analytics tell a different story. Maybe I had an illegal stream somewhere and... Okay, the quality wasn't so good. I may have missed some of the Jan and Via passes, but Jan and Via's class. That's all I'm going to say to start off. I mean, yeah, speaking of speaking of dodgy streams, I mean, I, having assumed that BT Sport wouldn't have televised this because BT Sport normally are not the most reliable of places to watch like a Greek team play. 
I did watch the first leg in Birea. I watched that on a, on a very dodgy stream. And then uh, having realised that they had played it on BT Sport, I then watched the second leg in Cyprus on BT Sport, where, where the quality was much better. And I, I got to see all the amazing chess downs that Mvia did and <laughs> passed them straight to the opponent. But you know what? I, in, in his defence, in his defence, I actually thought this was his best game so far for Olympiagos. I was happy with how he played. Of I think course. there were times where he he spread the ball well. He was, I think he, I think he defended well too. Uh, yeah, I I, I I was happy with him. He seems to be gelling with the, with Gamara and um, Bukalakis as well. Absolutely, I I definitely think he had a great game. There, there's no there's no doubt about that. We we just love poking fun at Lambro for just about anything. Uh, but more on the game itself, you know, Olympiakos. I thought did a better job of breaking down the ammonia defense uh, in this game compared to the first leg. The difference here was that the goalkeeper was phenomenal. I mean, there, we, there was nothing that we could do apparently to get by him. Radejevic had two opportunities that were, I mean, he should have scored on both of those. Unfortunately, it didn't materialize Two two good saves, maybe some bad shot placement by him. But there were some individuals that didn't think we broke down Amonia's defense. We definitely did. I mean, you don't get 28 shots with 10 on target by not breaking the defense down. The defense we got through, it was just the, the goalkeeper we didn't. Dominated possession, as was expected. Uh, you know, and I think the game was much more open because Amonia was forced to play more open with a two-goal deficit. And there was that instance as well where El Arabi, he was in, I think it was in the second half, he was in front of, of Fabiano and instead of taking the shot, he went down and I just thought, you don't need to go down there, just try, at least try and get a shot off because even if he parries it off and it falls onto another Olympiacos player like Rangelovic was on his right, he could have, he could have maybe, I don't know, he could have maybe tried to take a second shot from that but yeah, I was, I was surprised at how good Fabiano was and he, he was just, he was phenomenal against us, quite frankly. Yeah, and just to give some ammonia some respect, uh, two of their key players were actually out. I think they're the sp suspected coronavirus positive uh, cases. The uh, Brazilian winger, Thiago, who did absolutely nothing in the first leg and looked terrible to me, but also experienced midfielder Wigan, Wigan, ex-Wigan player, Jordi Gomez, who I actually rated. I thought he was decent. He's now 35, 36 years old. He was also out. I think he's a mainstay. He's, I think he's literally their captain. So it was definitely tough for them going without two of their starting players. Um, I thought their striker was just incompetent. Um, Duris was his name? I, I, I don't remember. Yes. Maybe. Was that his yeah. name? Yeah. He was, he was completely poor and and I know in the first leg they had that 19-year-old from Basel who was playing and he weighed like five pounds soaking wet and Ruben Semedo sent him back to back to, <laughs> to, to Switzerland. It was really bad. He was like down for down for like five minutes after he needed a back. Maybe he was a little too lightweight for what they needed, but the other guy was just incompetent, very poor. Um thinking of it, I, I they definitely they definitely had a few chances, I would say. Um they had a, a penalty shout from Ba. If you remember, he went in with strongly into their player. The and and the announcer I was listening to was definitely calling for a penalty, but I don't know. That would have been a bit soft. He got the ball for me, but yeah, they did have a few chances. I would say. 
Yeah, at first glance, when I when I first saw him go into that tackle, I thought, well, no, that's a clean tackle. He's clearly got that wrong. But then upon a second look at the different angles, um, it could have been given. I'm glad it wasn't. Um, and it, I think it would have been quite a soft one to give. But yeah, it's, it was certainly a, a shout that was warranted from the Omonia players. Um, it was nice to see some some Cypriot players play as well. Godzolos, I think his name is. Um in centre defensive mid, he did all right, and then um, Loizu, who came on that young Gibre um, winger as well, he looked impressive in the last few minutes of the game as well. Well, and credit to the to our defense as well, because you know Omonia's chances were were deflected because our defense stayed pretty tight, and they actually did a pretty good job. Starting with the centre backs, Semedo was solid. He had a couple of his, you know lapses, concentration lapses that we, what we'll call it some laziness that we've already kind of talked about and argued about in the past. Uh, he won three out of four of his defensive duels, 50% of his aerial duels. The only aerial duels he lost were actually in the offensive third off of corner kicks. Loose balls didn't really do much with. Uh, three interceptions, nine recoveries, two clearances. Solid game from Semedo. Uh, Ba, on the other hand, defensively, again, stalwart, 100% win rate, won every defensive duel that came to him in the back, eight out of nine in the air, three out of four loose balls. I mean, in terms of total duels altogether, 14 for 16, incredible win rate on those, two interceptions, nine recoveries, one clearance. I saw with the center backs, uh, our previous guest, Christian Legas, he had done some ratings. He gave Semedo a seven and Ba 6.5. I probably would have switched that. I thought Ba was much more clinical defensively in terms of the opportunities that Omonia were available, but Semedo offers way more in terms of the offense. We had a couple nice balls then, um, but for the CBs, I thought they did their jobs very well. Ba especially was quite solid. Yeah, I I immediately sent to you guys at the beginning of the game. Semedo was just so sloppy. He he gave away a few passes, and then I think he marked a guy tightly, and he got him behind, and they had a really good chance. It was literally the first minute of the game. But after that, I thought he really locked it down. And the Greek reaction, the not the, the diaspora, but the Greeks and Greek reaction, Greece reaction was like, this was a great game from Semedo. We need to keep him at all costs. And I, I don't know about that. That's a little... I, I rate Semedo, but yeah, sometimes the laziness at the beginning of the game was kind of sad to see. But he did turn it on It's at the once he got more comfortable, I felt. Yeah, I, I, after hearing you guys talk about it, I think it was on last, the last podcast you guys did, The Christian. I... I, I was just like, I, I, I made like an extra effort to look at Semedo, especially early on in the game, to see about, like, to have a look at those lack of urgency, like, on the ball and and such. And, yeah, I really saw it. He just, he was just so, it wasn't even a calmness. It was just a laziness at times. He would just chest it down. I think there was a time where he tried to, like, kind of scuff the ball to bar. <laughs> yep. And he just... He nearly gave away possession completely yep. on the counterattack for Monia, and I just thought, nah, like, I, I, I and it, I, like he did switch it on eventually, and he did look, you know, as good as he usually has been ever since he's arrived at Olympiagos. But he can't do that in Europe, like in the group stage. He is our best defender, but he can't, he can't do that against tough opposition, against an actual like high-level Champions League side, whoever they are. You can't do that in the group stage. I have one snarky-ish comment to say to Semedo. You said he's won everything. Well, 
we drew yesterday. So that's really all I have to say about that. <laughs> but um, I think it's a good point. And I think what happens a lot of times is like he, you get used to being able to coast, as they say, you know, and Semedo can get away with it against Greek teams or maybe in the qualifiers even. But I mean, <laughs> we could get Barcelona, Bayern Munich. We could get you know, all these good teams, we're going to probably have to be playing against some massive sides in the group stage. If you think Semedo can get away with that in those, in those games, you're wrong. And honestly, it becomes a bit of a habit with, you know, playing in a complacent manner. It gets very easy to just always switch off. And I won't be surprised if we're playing in a big game and he does that and gives away a penalty or gets sent off or gives away a goal. He's been doing it so much and gotten used to it. Yeah, and I think the one hope is... If he stays, so we're st it's still up in the air, you know. Um, if he stays, maybe his mind, he checks back in, you know. He may have been coasting these past few weeks knowing I'm off to Benfica or I'm getting a new contract, you know. So, he, yeah. These mental mistakes, I think, have always been there. There's mental laziness, but I think it's picked up recently with the transfer rumors and and sign the new contract stuff. So hopefully it goes away if he stays and if he signs a new contract, we'll see. And I think it, it comes from a place of frustration, not because he's, he's like, I don't know, he's, he's one of those bottler mid, like kind of defenders we've had in the past. He just can't live up to the big games. He is one of the most talented defenders we have had in the last decade. And we want him to perform at that level 100%. Like we don't, I've said this before, and I think I said it before in the last time I came on, we don't want players who, come to, to Olympiagos and play for six games in the Champions League group stage, maybe get Europa League, maybe get round of 16, and then just kind of try to walk it in the Greek Super League. Because the Greek Super League isn't the same, nowhere near the same level as the Champions League. It's nowhere near the same level as a lot of other major leagues in Europe. But you still have to put in effort 100% every game, you know. Um, and that's why that's what's most frustrating about Samad, is just he's so good, and yet he, he needs to kind of bring that to the to the team every single game you're 100 percent correct and hopefully when now that the transfer season is about to die down it's going to end next week so hopefully we see a little bit more focus out of them um, now moving on from the center backs i thought our wing backs did pretty well holebas in particular i thought had a better second leg than first leg with ammonia uh you know i mean he actually had a couple days rest guys he's played four games in t four games in 10 days he is not at the age where he could do that. He's not supposed to be our day-in, day-out left back. But all things considered, I think he had a better game this time than he did in the first leg. He had two decent long shots, uh, a really nice long pass that went into the final third. That was in the first half. He tried to dribble down the wing uh, when we were trying to continue to open things up. Wasn't super successful, but I mean, he did. The effort was there. Connected his only cross. He had two really nice progressive runs off of, uh, you know, creating on, sorry, off of counters, I should say. Uh, only one, two out of seven offensive duels. Didn't really do super well under pressure. He had one shot assist and then three passes into the penalty area. Again, much better, much more effective than the first leg. Defensively, solid. One, two out of three defensive duels, two out of three in the air. Didn't win any loose balls. Uh, had two occasions where he tried. Uh, one interception, six recoveries. Decent from him. Rafinha was constantly involved. Lots of touches on the ball, but not quite as pivotal to our offense as he was in the first leg. Uh, zero shot assists. Missed his only cross. Seven attempted passes into the final third, but 
it was really only a couple that were actually meaningful that actually led to anything. Uh, his only attempted at through ball wasn't successful. So again, not bad though. I mean, defensively also, I mean, he won most of his duels, uh, two recoveries, it looks like. So didn't have to do as much, much better in the first leg, more pivotal to our attack, but he was constantly involved in the buildup. I'm, I'm loving every time the camera pans to Holebas and he's just, and he looks pissed off. I think ever since <laughs> yeah. that notorious, that notorious like farewell video from his like, <laughs> These ex like um, play, uh, teammates of Watford, just the look of like pure kind of frustration and, and on Holebas is something I weirdly look out for now. But I uh, yeah, like you guys said, I I was happy with how he played. I think he's starting to kind of warm back into playing for Olympiacos again. And you know, if and when we get another left back in, which is hopefully soon, um, he doesn't have to play all those games. And when he does play, he performs like he did against Omonia. And while we're on the topic of the fullbacks and uh, relatively non-serious content, I want to address something that's that's very serious that needs to get out to the Greek diaspora before you know things rumors continue spreading. But there's there's something that we've all noticed since Rafinha has arrived, uh, and it's it's beginning to spread like a virus across the club, and it is his short shorts. This man basically shows us his entire thigh when he plays. And I just want to make one thing clear. As other Olympiacos players seem to begin adopting, we've seen Brazilian Bruno. We've seen, I think, Ba. Ba um, did it a couple times yeah. in, in training. <laughs> so I just want to make one thing clear. There is, there is one man who has been doing this at the University of Maryland outdoor pool for longer than Rafinha has been at Olympiacos. And that would be, that would be our own Lambro Sirmos right here. So I just, just want to make it clear that that the, the, the high shorts did not originate with Rafinha. And, uh, and, and I know Lamro is very passionate about making sure that everyone understands that. Peter, thank you for broadcasting this to hundreds of people who may listen to this podcast. But yes, I'm a big fan of the high shorts. And even as Danny Ceballos brought out, working out now, high shorts are in. They're in, they're back. Rafinha has demonstrated they are a thing. It's a style. It's a thing. This thing is spreading faster than COVID is too. Every time I see pictures from training, there's a different it's player. More of them. <laughs> it's just more it's of them. It's comfortable. It's so comfortable. It's so comfortable. You you guys are sleeping on it. You got to try it out. <laughs> anyway, one one comment on the fullbacks from me. Olebas has done pretty well this last game, actually. I thought and. The way the system we play in that 4-3-3, he, he's kind of left a bit on an island because Valbuena kind of just goes anywhere. He doesn't really stick to positions. Yeah. So he has no one. He has no winger tracking back to support him. So he's kind of just left there. I guess you could say Buhalakis and Mvia kind of cover a bit almost as a winger. Sometimes they rotate. But yeah, a lot of times he gets isolated there, left on his own. And I think he held up pretty strong, I think. Ammonia definitely were testing him. And the first leg they were going at him, especially there at the end of the game, if you guys remember, they brought on the Ghanaian, ex-Ghanaian international, Asante, I want to say his name is in And the Cypriot player, they brought him on and loaded up the side and went after him. And and it was a bit of a mess. But I think he held his own. And again, uh, we discussed this on a last podcast, but I, I don't blame Holebas for the poor performances. I, I think... The guy hasn't played football since January. Now he's played four games in 10 days. I really, I, I shift some of the blame. If we're going to blame anyone, we, we have to blame the club who have had so long to bring in another left back, which hopefully they do um, soon. But anyway, yeah, I thought Holebas had a good game this, yeah. this week. 
Yeah, and then speaking again to our previous guest, Christian Legas' ratings, uh, I agree with them almost completely. He gave Jose Jolebas a six and a half. He gave Rafinha a six. You know, they both tried. The effort was there, but, you know, they neither one really did much to break through. Rafinha especially. He, even though he was involved a lot in build-up, a lot of touches on the ball, about 80 of them to be exact. And I just want to bring up uh, something I forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast, but the right back that we had discussed briefly in last weekend's episode with Christian Mohamed Drager, he is officially an Olympiacos player as of now. In fact, right. very, very shortly after we finished recording the podcast on Sunday, he was announced by the club and, and in Athens in the dressing room with an Olympiacos shirt on. So hopefully some nice coverage for Arfinia there. But I just wanted to make sure that was mentioned before we forgot. Yeah, I'm excited to see this guy, Dreger. Um, just to see a different a different right back, maybe someone younger bombing down the wings. He's in his um, like little interview at the club, which is always so terrible. They do the worst interviews. But anyway, he was like, my strength is running up and down, never stop running. So I was like, okay, that's that's what you like to hear, I guess. So excited to see him play. We'll see where what he ends up being. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of comparisons with him and Holebas, just uh, not Holebas, sorry, El Abdullahi, because of, um, you know, the the, uh, the Bundesliga and like German football links. And obviously he played last season. He did play last season in the worst def like, defence and worst team in the Liga, I believe, in the Bundesliga, for Paderborn on loan from Freiburg. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with it. You know, maybe he can develop and become like the next mainstay right back after Rafinha leaves at some point. Is hoping. I'm, I'm excited for this one. Yeah, I think he looks, he has a nice touch. That's for sure. I think the one thing that we discussed briefly when we kind of talked about him in the previous podcast was his defensive ability. His defensive ability does seem subpar, but offensively, I mean, he has a really nice touch. He needs to work on his crossing, but he's an exciting player to watch. When you watch the film, I mean, he's got a good touch. He can definitely dribble and take people on. Exciting player to watch, but, you know, the concern is the defensive capability. What you have to say in Greece is probably not so big of a worry. We're kind of, I, I would assume we're going to bleed him into a home league game. Um, that seems like the club's usual approach. Like, uh, For sure. So it, it would be nice to see him go against maybe a lower level competition and, and see what he's got because, you know, again, as we said, Rafinha is not going to last a full season playing every single game. So it'll be, be interesting to see where he where he develops and maybe who his new partner on the left could be. Maybe Loxlot or Mateus Rice. We'll, we'll have to see who it is. Absolutely. And uh, moving on from the defense now, going into the midfield, I'll just kind of go through some of the brief player statistics because we do have two other games we have to go over before this is all said and done. So Bukalaikis, uh even though I thought he and Mvila did a much better job of getting out of each other's way, there is definitely a clear difference in Bukhalakis and Mvila, or especially Bukhalakis' play when Mvila is present. Bukhalakis does way more defensive work when Mvila is not there. And then when Mvila is there doing most of the defensive work, like he was yesterday, Bukhalakis is not quite as active. Bukalakis, I don't think, really knows how to be more constructive offensively, and that's kind of part of the problem here. So he didn't have a bad game, but he had barely 50 touches, whereas when he's playing without Mvila, he's averaging almost 80 touches a game. He's on the ball a lot. He had one shot assist, which was that pass outside to Valbuena, four passes into the final third, one in the penalty area. 
two out of four defensive duels won, uh, two interceptions, four recoveries, won a loose ball. But he did lose the ball seven times in possession. That's really high for him. Still was pretty accurate, but just not the 90% accuracy we were used to. Uh, now, Mvila, Mvila touched the ball the most out of anybody on the team. Not just midfield, anybody on the team. 90 touches. Now, were those really big playmaking balls? No. I tell you what, I tell you what, he is fantastic with one touch, helps us keep possession, and you need somebody that's going to do that, help work off of players. His long ball is definitely not effective. He's not Guillerme, uh, and that one cross he had was way over hit, but Valbuena, you know, was able to get onto it. Uh, he did have three shots. Only one was really on target, and that was because it was a deflection. Um, he lost the ball 13 times. Uh, four which were in our half. You don't really like to see that, but you know what? It's okay because the 13 losses he had were downfield. He was trying. Don't Again, we can't expect him to be like Guillerme. He's not going to be Guillerme, but he is more than capable on the defensive aspect. He is a workhorse. He is a bulldog. I mean, six interceptions, 12 recoveries, three clearances. Um, won one out of three defensive duels. We'd like to see that better. Won pretty much every loose ball around him and had that brilliant slide tackle in our defensive third. Uh, to dispossess Omonia down uh, in the our left defensive end. Madi, I mean, what can I say? He's probably our most effective midfielder in terms of Bukhalaikis and Mvia. Uh, he's the most effective playmaking. Uh, he had almost 80 touches on the ball, but he was really one of the ones making things happen. For me, Madi was a contender for man of the match. Seven shots, but only one was on target. We really need to work on his shooting because some of them were just all over the place. He probably killed a couple birds with some of his shots. Um, he had one key pass, which was that shot assist to Lazar, which really should have been a goal. Lazar needed to capitalize on that. He got down to the corners to make two crosses. Mott even had a couple nice dribbles against the defenders. Won pretty much most of his offensive duels. Now, just to cover what offensive duels are when one of our players is in possession and gets pressured with the ball an offensive duel is basically whether or not this player is able to maintain possession while being pressured with the ball and Madi does it's very difficult to dispossess him he has to get double or triple teamed in that case he had uh, six touches in the penalty area you know one of the most on the team five progressive runs where we really got forward and had some dangerous situations uh, defensively, uh, he won two out of three of his defensive duels, one in the air, one out of four loose balls, three interceptions, five recoveries, two clearances. That's solid for a midfielder. So the midfield on the whole, I thought they did a good job. We didn't need to win this game from an Olympiacos perspective. Now, as Greek soccer fans, we really wanted them to win this game because we needed it for the coefficient. I wish we would have, but I think our midfield core did a very good job in terms of this game. No, I agree with that completely. I think um, even the English announcer who I had was um, well impressed with the midfield. And like, as was a bit alluded to earlier, I was extremely impressed with MVI. Just his touches on his ball and his close control dribbling, I really like. And I think that's something that will get us out of danger in European matches to come. One note on Bugalakis, you you did mention that I think he he had a few moments of struggle and one moment that comes to my head immediately was I think he was pressured and he had like a classic Buha like he's like freaking out, get the ball out and he kicked it yeah. right back to a separate player and that led to a really good chance. Um, one other players took one on just outside the box. It went just wide, but 
yeah, that was like one of those classic Buhalakis moments where I was like, yeah, that was Buhalakis who did that. But but overall, I thought he thought he did fine. I thought the midfield was strong. Um, Maddie's end product seemed to be lacking um, yesterday. Um, some of those final shots were just poor. You, you definitely mentioned that. But yeah, the midfield was solid, I would say. I don't have too many complaints. And uh, that was reflected also in Christian's ratings. Again, Christian joined us this past Sunday. He had Madi and Buhalakis at a 7. Jan and Vila at a 6.5. I probably, for the context of the game, I probably would have given Buhalakis maybe a 6.5 because in this, with this game the way it was, we needed him to be more offensive. And when Jan and Vila is on the pitch, Buhalakis needs to be more offensive. Now, is it necessarily his fault that he's not? No, because he is used to playing more of a defensive role. But in order for him and Jan and Vila to occupy spots on the starting 11 together and not kind of run over each other in that respect or be on each other's butts nonstop, they, Buhalakis needs to be more offensive and more helpful. Is that something that realistically we can do? I think the evidence is there that it's possible because we've seen Buchalakis transform just this season. More downfield passes, more looking, you know, for the for those big plays. I think it's possible, but I don't know what the ceiling is. I don't think it's that high. Well, this could be where Pepe comes in because maybe Pepe could slot into that left side of midfield um, where Buchalakis is currently residing. I mean, like you said, I don't know how high Buchalakis is, uh, like, kind of, potential ceiling is as a player but you know he is he's he like you said he's changing up a lot as a player this season he's there's a lot of aspects of his game that have improved massively I'd like to see him continue to develop to develop and see where he goes especially as he's coming close to his peak theoretically as a player um and just to quickly jump on Mvia like you can tell this man's a number six like with with Guilherme like he could do the switch from the six to the eight and and push forward with the counter-attack. With, him, with Mvia, you know he's going to be there. He's going to be oh, the yeah. big man in midfield, and he's just going to stop everything, for the most part, going um, like going through their midfield to the attack. Um, and I, I'm, yeah, like I've said before, I'm really happy with, with Mvia's performance as well. And, and Camara, like, I remember, I remember he did force a good save, one of the many plethora of saves that Fabiano mm -hmm. made. Um, I think it was, what did I say it was? Around, I think it was, yeah, around the hour mark. He, I remember he forced a good save. And in terms of him hitting birds, if they, if it's already been hunting season in Cyprus, that won't be a problem. <laughs> hey, 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 let's not kill too many birds over here, folks. <laughs> think, think of the birds. It's important. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, but, but you know, guys, uh, just running through my head, I don't know why, but uh, after making... Uh, going on to the group stage, I feel like my mind tried to erase that nil-nil from my mind. Like, I'm trying to think back to shots on target and thinking back on things, but it's kind of, it, it's tough for me to say, but, like, it's I'm struggling to, like, think back to moments in the game because it's just, like, at the end of that game, I was just like, okay, we progressed. Forget all about that. That, that game's over. Yeah, I mean, I think if you looked at it just from, a, like, a singular game, I would be disappointed because we should have won. Like, the amount of shots we had, the amount of quality chances we should have put away, but this Brazilian man in goal just decided to not, like, to, just to save everything. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I think looking at that, like, I'm, I, I'm a little bit disappointed we didn't win because I, I would have liked for us to, have, even if it was 1-0, to just get, get the away win, you know, and sew up the tie completely. But at the end of the day, it was the second leg. We'd already wrapped up the tie in we've done this before in in um you know qualifying ties and 
And, you know, like ultimately the important thing is we have qualified for the Champions League and we have 32 million euros in the bank now. Yeah, and one thing I don't want to harp on, I, I think our podcast listeners are starting to get this, but if we had a quality winger, I think we scored a goal uh, yesterday. Um, I just, I just think the quality there, the final goal, the final shot, the final creation is just lacking from both Rangelovic and Masuras. And I think, I think this game could play out in Europe if we don't have a quality um, winger, where we just we create, we create, we have chances, but we don't finish. Um, it kind of, I, I think of um, early on in that Arsenal first leg where we just couldn't finish finish early and that kind of met, just screwed us in the end because Arsenal built into the game. We we just need that final quality. I know about Buena and Fortuny, so the two who come to our minds instantly, but if one of them's injured or if one of them can't play, you know, or both of them can't play, we just need that, you, you know what I mean? Just that final, I don't want to say the potential replacement, that's such such something that gets said all the time on Greek media, oh, the potential replacement. But just a winger, just a, just a quality winger, you know. I, I agree. And I think to say just get a potential replacement is just such an old thing, like you said. And, you know, we got lucky to get Prudence in the first place when we initially got him on a free transfer, uh, free transfer from Sporting when he left. We then had to pay 7 million euros, and that's not something that, you know, Marinakis is willing to fork out for for an, one player. Um, and Rangelovic yesterday really frustrated me because he is so... He has a lot of talent, and there were chances that he should have converted. But, uh, but there were also times where he just kind of f- fell out of the game, became a bit invisible, and then... Masuras for me, like he, he's he, he confuses me as well because he he clearly has purple patches where he will go and score, he'll create, he's looking great, um, and he works hard up and down the wing, both attacking and defending. But then there's times where I'm just like, can he perform in Europe? Because in the Super League, he he is a great Super League player, but can he make that step up and become like a truly great player in Europe? Because we've said it about him in the for the national team as well. Can he step up for the national team? Quite lately, it's been few and far between. And sometimes in Europe, that's been the case as well. You're absolutely correct. Uh, you know, speaking to Lazar, you know, he he super disappointing for me as well. He really didn't do anything. Didn't actually. This is like the first game where he didn't try and take any defenders on. He never took any defenders on it. That limited kind of his upside in this game. He, his shots were really not that good. He didn't seem to try and pick out corners to those shots. They were, most of them were pretty easily savable, and that's really on him. He had that one nice run with the ball coming up through midfield to try and create something, but he didn't do enough. And Masuras was the same. Masuras came on, and his contribution to the game was muffing two shots. You know, one that, okay, maybe the angle was bad, but it was a really bad take. And then the second one, that was even worse take. So Masudas is another one, uh, you know, again, we talk about his work, right? That's why he's on the team. That's why Martins plays him all the time. But offensively, it's just constantly, it's inconsistent what we get out of him. Now, speaking to some of our more useful offensive players in the last game, Valbuena, even though Valbuena, I don't think had as pivotal of a performance in the second leg as he did in the first leg for us, because he was by far one of our most productive people in the first leg. In the second leg, even though he might not have been as productive, 
he was the team leader in opportunity creation. Seven shot assists. He had two key passes. Uh, one that was from that volley interplay with him and El Arabi when they were just bumping the ball to each other, and then he hit it on, and El Arabi, of course, couldn't uh, finish that. Then the second was he he received a, a really long that really long cross I talked about with Mvila, where he definitely overhit it, and then he kind of brings it in and then crosses it right into El Arabi almost perfectly for a header that, of course, doesn't really make its way to any dangerous part of the goal. He had two really nice long passes. Uh, he had two great shots, by the way, that were blocked by the keeper. One from the free kick, and then the one that Buchalaikis had passed to him, and he kind of just took the touch to the right and shot it far corner. The keeper blocked it. Dribbled past Ammonia defenders with ease. I mean, every time he had the ball down the corner, nobody could really stop him. Uh, Ten attempted passes into the penalty area, six successful. He had six recoveries, didn't really do as much defensively, but he was on what I would consider more of an off game probably our best player. And for me, I'm looking at man of the match for him because he was the one that was closest to bringing us opportunities. And that was reflected in the X goal generation uh, met metric. Then lastly, of course, we had El Arabi on that offensive third. Uh, also dribbled pretty well, pressed well, four shots, two on target. Did okay dribbling against defenders, held the ball up well. Unfortunately, he also couldn't get that goal. I said the king of Qatar was back. He kind of came back to earth a little bit today, or sorry, yesterday. He did have two nice progressive runs as well. Uh, tried to make to break into that penalty area, had a key pass. Um, offensive unit I thought we could have seen more out of, but Valbuena was uh, definitely probably my man of the match for this. Yeah, Ruben Semedo, take notes. This is how to be a true professional of the game. Like this man, I, I can't think of a game where I've genuinely thought this, this guy has not put hundred percent in uh, Mateo Valbuena. Like he, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, he's just, he, he, you know, he could so easily just be at the time of his career where he's like, you know, I've done it all. I, I could so just easily just stay in Turkey. I'll go to the Middle East and earn a, a like a, a load of money or go back to France and play for like a middling side or, or whatever. But like, no, you know, He's, he's put the effort from day one in for this team. And I think he's such a good role model and such a good leader in the squad as well. And like, like you said, it wasn't like his greatest performance, but you could tell the effort was still there. And he still mm -hmm. caused a lot of problems for the Ammonia defence. And yeah, I, I, have nothing, I have nothing really bad to say about Fogwena ever. And, you know, El, El Arabi, like I've said before, got very unlucky. He went down for a penalty, I've, I've wrote here. I think he, like, kind of maybe tried to let, get a penalty claim, but it was waved away, yeah. and it probably wasn't a penalty either. Um, that was the headlock. Yeah. yeah, that was the headlock, yeah. That he, was the he headlock. Got, he, he got RKO'd in, in the box. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I, the forwards did everything other than score, which is kind of what they need to do, but... I thought their, their effort was, was great. Yeah, and just talking about Valbuena, when you mentioned like, oh, he could just play in the Middle East now at his age, and made me think of a player, you know, uh, similar age, similar generation, a, a star. Wesley Schneider is the same age as Matthew Valbuena, and he was gone to the Middle East and Turkey, and he's now retired and like 40 pounds overweight and just like washed up as washed up can be. And they're the same exact age, you know. So like two players who I, I think were 
maybe Schneider was more a better player in his prime, of course, but like the end of their careers couldn't be any more different, you know, and just like giving it all, you know, you have to love the game to be giving it all on a Tuesday night in in Cyprus, you know, when, when the, when the game could be locked, you know, it's just, it shows how much he loves the game. And I just, I, he's so fit too. He He's so strong and he's running and he, yep. he's playing, he's making it through all of these games. He just, it's, it's, it's astonishing really. And he, he's a role model and I'm, I'm happy he's around really for, for Madi Kamara, for Cisse and for Ba, these, these French speaking guys to really look up to someone, you know. Yeah, just to jump on what Lambros said, I like what you said about a Tuesday night in Cyprus. I think that's a great saying. Because um, obviously in the UK you have a Tuesday or cold wet, I think it was cold wet Tuesday night in Stoke. And um, for me, it's going to be a, a, a very humid Tuesday night in Cyprus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, the cold rainy night in Stoke, I hear that all the time. It's the classic. But I mean, it's a really good point. And um yeah, also the good point about the fact that we have a lot of French-speaking players in the team. So I think that even mean, it means even more just because, you know, there are guys who probably look up to him in that sense. And I guess it helps having him via there as well, obviously, another French-speaking veteran player, even if he's still sort of fit, fitting his way into the team. With that being said, uh, I, I think maybe it's about time that we head over to some of the other games in the Champions League qualifying round and Europa League qualifying rounds. Um, you know, unless anyone has anything else to say about the Olympiacos game. But I do want to make sure that Pauk and Ike fans get to hear a bit about their team uh, before the episode is all said and done. Obviously, a bit of a disappointing result for Pauk today. Uh, I did catch the end where there was an unfortunate own goal on behalf of Mikadidis, who otherwise I think played pretty well. But, you know, it's a, it's a very tough, tough time. And then El Kaduri gets them back in the game and immediately about concede a goal right after it was just a really really topsy-turvy game it went from sort of seeming like it was over to really being back in contention and then I mean obviously the, the last Krasnodar goal killed it away so really unfortunate finish for Powell obviously none of the numbers are out yet but I think we all have our sort of first reaction Stephen what are your thoughts to this game I yeah I I didn't watch the first leg um in Russia and I, I did watch this this in, in its entirety and you know, rivalries aside, you know, there are some people who will just laugh and kind of poke fun and make jokes on social media, um, forgetting completely about the coefficient and stuff, obviously. And, you know, um, I, I, I did feel sorry for Balk, you know. It was just the manner in which they went out of the Champions League. And it just would have been nice to have seen two Greek sides play in the Champions League, you know. Um, yeah, just just Mikhailidis with with the away like it was the most beautiful own goal I think I've ever seen. Like he basically rainbow flicked it over himself <laughs> and passed yeah. the keeper. But that was just you could tell like he on his face like he was just he couldn't believe it, and I don't think anyone could. And then they, we were all talking about it on the group chat, the Hellas group chat, and we were just all saying that nah, that's it, that's it. And then Al Kaduri scores, and I was just like, oh, maybe it's maybe it's back on. And then as I said that. <laughs> Krasnodar go up the pitch and score it to, for the means that Balk had to have scored four goals to to get through. And I just thought, oh, well, that's it then. You and it was, just, it. it was disappointing. Yeah. And, you know, you were saying there's some Greek fans who like to make fun of Pauk and post memes. Well, that is me. I love posting memes <laughs> and just making fun of Pauk. I, and I know this is our Greek midweek special, but I, I'm just going to 
I'm going to give a little truth bomb. This is typical Pauk. I'm sorry. This is typical Pauk. You made it all the way to the final playoff playoff round, and you sell your starting striker and one of your best young players a week before the tie. Are you insane? Who runs this club? Who runs this club? And you bring in a right back, Musa Wage, the, the star from Barcelona. I'm sorry, Peter. I think he killed like three or four birds with his crosses today. I thought it was, I thought it was Luca Vindra on the pitch today. It was poor. He, he, I would have kept Crespo on. I, I, would have, I would have kept Crespo on and used that sub for someone else because defensively they went, they went, they went down with Wage on the field, to be honest with you. I, this is Barcelona wonder kid. We'll, we'll see about that. I, it's just shocking management from Pauk, from the chairman, who I would guess would be Savidis or the son. Um, well, what's the son's name? This is Yorgo son. Oh, no, his son is vice. I think his son is the vice president, I think. Okay. The, so so Ivan doesn't speak Greek, but but the son does, I think. So I think he's more involved in the day-to-day stuff. I, I, I don't know. But it's just, it, it's so incompetent. You have to be incredibly incompetent to sell your starting striker. We, we all have our opinion. Chewak, bomb, his finishing is poor, blah, 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 blah. But a player who's been with you for two years and been through it, through all the progressions like it's just it's terrible business uh, i mean uh, the, i i think the problem with crespo in this game was he just kept giving the ball away the amount of times he would just get get the ball to his feet he would try to pass it it would go straight to a Krasnodar player or he would bring he would bring the ball down and just lose possession i just felt like the change was necessary but it what maybe wasn't the correct change that um, that they should, that Balk should have made at the time, and and just yeah, I, I, you know, I'll be devil, I'll be devil's advocate, Lambros. We uh, Olympiagos have sold players at the worst of times, mid-season and and like before integral European ties as well. I.e., Gostas Mitroglou to Fulham, and this last season Bordens, which we probably couldn't have said no to anyway, but Bordens. Um, to um, <clears throat> to Wolves after we uh, after we were about on the verge of playing Arsenal, which we did eventually get through anyway. But yeah, um, it, everyone's everyone's a culprit of it. But in this tie where Bark haven't ever reached the Champions League group stage, they needed their best players, and they shouldn't have sold. I do agree, they shouldn't have sold their best striker. Yeah, just quick comment. There's levels to our transfers and to Pauk's transfers. We sell players for 20 million euros, 15 million euros. Those are offers you don't turn down. Pauk sell Chuba Akbom after sell-on fee for like 1.3 million euros to a championship team. And Limnios for like 3 million to a Bundesliga team. They just, they don't learn. It's it's infuriating. It's it's terrible. And I just want to make it clear, uh, we do not want Pauk to fail. You know, this is the Greek soccer midweek series. We want to see them do well, but it's really just, we're just expressing our frustration as Greek fans that this kind of just keeps happening for Pauk. And it's, it's really unfortunate. And they've just gotten so close. Like they literally, Krasnodar honestly might, certainly not the best team that they played en route to, uh, to where they've gotten. And, um, it was a team that they couldn't get over and it was, you know, some silly mistakes and 
you know, we talk about Limnios and Akpom leaving, but, you know, they were close as well, even without those players. And you just have to think maybe what could happen with that additional attacking spark, especially with Limnios, you know, he would potentially be coming off the bench. So it's just, I think I'm just frustrated. I, I would have wanted to see them advance for Greece and to have two Greek teams, as Steven said, in the group stage would be great. But yeah, I mean, it's just unfortunate. And of course, you know, now the memes are going to be everywhere on, on social media. You know, it, it just is what it is, I suppose. I, yeah, I, I, and you know, best of luck to them in the Europa League. Hopefully they don't get a group of death like Olympia will probably get in the Champions League. Um, but I think it was also the setup of this side. It just didn't make sense. Like, Zolis started at striker and I thought, yeah, he's a very talented kid, but like, why start him as striker? Start him on the left. Start him on the left, or even the right, where he naturally plays. Bring on your new striker, um, Golak, who they who they signed recently. I, you know, and when he came on, he made a bit more of an impact. You could see he was the, the definite target man, and he was going to bring. And you know, he scored a lot of goals last season for his previous club. I thought it would have been worth the risk to start him. I agree with you there 100%. And one thing I didn't agree with when I saw the starting lineup was Solis. The games that they were so successful in, you know, against Benfica, against uh, uh, Besiktas, was when Solis was on the wing, getting the ball and moving forward with it. He is so dangerous on the counter. He has such great ball skill. He creates so many opportunities. You pigeonhole him into the striker position, which... I think he's skilled enough to play, but you need your guys that are skilled on the ball to actually help you get forward with the ball. And I'm not knocking Zivkovic at all, but I think that Zivkovic might have been, or the two of them, Zivkovic and Soli should have been on the wings and maybe and put, push Belkas forward because I'm sorry, Belkas to me is borderline useless. I have not seen much out of him in, in these qualifiers. I really haven't. A good game here, but then, you know, with Belkaz, it's we get one good game, so we go a step forward, then we go, like, three steps back. And he has three terrible games. In their, in their previous leg against Krasnodar, we had the, the player statistics, how useless Belkaz was. And I guarantee that when the player statistics populate for this game, we're going to see, once again, how useless he is. I, I just think that they didn't positionally put players in, where they were going to get the most out of those players. And... Soli should have been on the wing with Zivkovic. Zivkovic, I thought, did another good job. He's a really exciting for a player for them. Really good signing for them. But those two should have been on the wings, helping get the ball and moving forward. I think they would have had more success in that case if they had done that. But, I mean, just to preface this, I think Balk before the goals, before this happened, we're playing well. They're playing way more open and, and actually going at Krasnodar. So I was proud of that. I was happy to see them do that, even as a smaller Greek side than Olympiakos. But it, it, it was just very frustrating. That's all. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say one thing as well. I think they really unlocked Pelkas with the kind of three they had with Akpom, Pelkas, and Tzolis. I thought that was the best that they had with Zivkovic coming off the bench. I want to say, was that the Benfica game they, they did that? Um I thought that was the best. And I thought Zolis worked really well with Akpom, even though Akpom just absolutely missed some brilliant chances. I think they worked well off of each other. And again, Akpom shouldn't have left until the end of this um, qualifying campaign. Yeah, I think having seen Akpom briefly in the Premier League when he was 
you know, when he was previously at Arsenal and then, you know, at other clubs afterwards. It seems like he, he's always had a good work rate. He's always done everything right. But like we get with a lot of strikers, like the one I can think of, maybe not an exact kind of comparison, but Guerrero for us, who's now obviously gone to Forest, like he's a very similar player in the sense they work really hard on and off the ball and they can do that build-up, but just scoring isn't a consistent thing that they can do. And, you know, Akpong was the, he was the butt of people, a lot of jokes in, in England and certainly in Greece as well. You know, he's not, he's not a great striker, but, you know, if, if he works in a system and, and, and you can use that to your success, then yeah, he could be, he probably was a more valuable part of the team than they initially realised. Although, too late now, he's gone back to, to Middlesbrough, I believe. Yep. Yeah, it's the whole thing is just unfortunate. And, uh, you know, if I wasn't clear before already for the listeners, especially those that are non Libyakos fans, uh, we're not, we don't have any player statistics available. The game literally just ended not too long ago. They won't populate until probably, you know, on uh, Eastern Seaboard time on the Northeast Coast in the United States till probably midnight or later. That's why we're not using them. It's not because we only care about Olympiacos. That's why we're using the Olympiacos player statistics. No, that game was yesterday. So we have the player statistics available. Uh, again, I'm sure as they populate, we'll have a little bit more insight as to who did what. But, I mean, once again, I thought Fox midfield did well. El Caduri especially was all over the place. Mm-hmm. Schwab had some good plays here and there. But El Caduri, again, I mean, he is a workhorse. He is the workhorse of that midfield. He was doing everything to get the ball forward. Defensively, I thought the defense kept, was kept tight. Varela, I thought, was doing his job. Really, it was, it was a couple of mental lapses. You know, Mihalidis, that unlucky, that unlucky back heel over his head, <laughs> flick over into the goal. I mean, that's just unlucky. And then the, the, the lapse that led to the second goal right after Balk evens it, and it looks like there's, there's still some light at the end of the tunnel. It looks like this qualification campaign isn't over. It was just unfortunate. Overall, I thought they, again, Balk had a, a, a good game. It's, it was just disappointing. Yeah, and, you know, fair play to Krasnodar. They, they came this far last season in the Champions League only to get absolutely demolished by us. Um, and so I guess this was their time. And, you know, they, they had a couple of interesting players that I, I'd like to quickly mention as well that you may, you may know. Obviously, Marcus Berg was up front. You'll know him previously from Bunny Thinaigos then moved to uh, the Middle East. He, and he's clearly enjoying his little trip around um, that part of the world because he's in Krasnodar now. And then um, Premier League fans will be f- familiar with uh, Remy Cabela, who was at Newcastle previously. Um, I didn't even realise he was at Krasnodar until I saw him in the, in the lineup. And then also Tony, Tony Villena, who um, he was at Feyenoord for seven years and he was touted as, as this next big kind of wonder kid. And now he's just kind of ended up in the Russian League. I just found that those three... In particular, very interesting. Yeah, just of those three you mentioned, Marcus Berg, hate him so much, hate him with a passion, was so happy when he came to Kariskaki. I got to boo him off the field because the last time I saw him play uh, in Kariskaki, he scored actually. We we ended up beating Panathinaikos 3-1, I think, but he did score, and I just hate seeing him score, especially against us. I just hate Marcus Berg. But Tony Vilhena, I don't know if you guys remember this, but like, Three years ago, he was linked with us on a free transfer or something. I don't, I don't know if you guys remember this, but like, I was super excited about this because I, I had been following him a bit. Um, he played some games for the Dutch national team, and I was, was like really excited about this. And 
And finally, Remy Cabea. Yeah, he he's a talented player, but he he seems like a bit of a prima donna, to be honest with you. When when things go south, it it, it seems like he would lose his head. So, yeah, some interesting players which you named. And uh, to build on Adi's comment about you know folks who might claim that we're just sort of not using the numbers because we don't want to. Yeah, um, when we cover Ike, we'll discuss some numbers for Ike, I believe, but. I also want to say that for the coefficient, you know, it's certainly not over for Pauk. Obviously, they'll be into the Europa League, and uh, that might give them an opportunity to win some games in their group stage. As I think we already said, you know, hopefully they don't get a horrible draw. And uh, who knows, maybe they can go through and win a couple rounds in the knockouts. Obviously, by that point in the season, we might see new players like Cholak sort of fit into the team better. I think, you know, hopefully if Cholak continues to be a good player, him and Swiderski can make up most of the goals from striker. And then obviously I think Zivkovic is a great signing for them. And, and he's a very fun winger to watch. He's very creative. And um, I think just as soon as they figure out that striker and sort of get their team sorted out and then also the right back issue, you know, I don't really know what to do with Musa Wage. I was very much not impressed. Crespo, I think is a nice player for them, but he's playing, he's not really his preferred position, especially in a back three. So it should be interesting with Pauk, but it'll definitely be worth keeping an eye on. Obviously, it's good that they've made it to Europa League. Uh, they had a really tough road here, so it's not a, It's certainly not the worst thing that could have happened. Just to, just to quickly jump on what you said about Musa Wage, like, it was really interesting because uh, the English commentator that I was um, obviously listening to uh, throughout the match, he, he gave some interesting stuff about Wage and how he'd already played two Champions League games for Barcelona. I think it was against Borussia Dortmund, one of them against Inter, and it yeah, it, it was just seen as a massive coup when Falk managed to get him on loan. And he didn't have a good, for me, he didn't have that great a game at all. Like, he, at, at the start, I thought, I may have thought that he looked a bit more encouraging when he came on. But then eventually, it just kind of, his performances kind of sank and it, his usefulness just kind of went quite quickly. I mean, he might perform in the Super League. He might gel a bit more with the side. But, yeah. I, I, for, for somebody who was highly rated by Barcelona, for him to kind of be sent out on loan like that, you know, no disrespect about, like, I'm sure he'll be, I'm, I mean, he's hoping that he's good for you guys, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird one. I'll say that. And I think you, you mentioned his potential capability in the Super League. Lambro and Adi, I think at least one of you watched Pauk's game this weekend in which he featured and started. And if I remember correctly, the reviews were not exactly rave for Musawake, but exactly, yeah, I, I did. I watched. Uh, I watched. I try to watch every Super League game just so that way we have some kind of concept of what's going on. But Musawake literally reminds me of uh, of Lucas Vitra, uh, old Panathinaikos right back, who was, you know, average at best, but his crosses were awful and just kind of went all over the place hitting birds here and there. Sorry, Peter. Now, Musawage, the redeeming thing is he's got speed, at least. So he's definitely quick. So I'm hoping maybe, you know, that the performance is more related to he has to gel with the team first because I'm not impressed so far. Uh, you know, uh, I think maybe there's a silver lining with this because Europa League is probably something that Balk hopefully can compete better in you know I mean looking they probably would have been in pot four had they even qualified and the the teams they could have gotten stuck with they might not have even gotten a win in Champions League 
sure we would have gotten the bonus, but at the very least in Europa League, they have a chance to win a couple games and at least do more for the coefficient. It sucks. They would have gotten more money too, which would be, really would have helped with the debt problem, but maybe there's a silver lining here with the Europa League. Yeah, I don't want to really pile on to Pauk, but um, Europa League may be a better option for them, but I, I don't really have confidence in them in Europa League either. We remember what happened last time with the absolute calamity of Bate Borisov and the other team. They 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 couldn't get past, you know. it's they They've done this before in Europe, and it's a worry. And maybe it's a little too early to say this, but... They haven't won yet in the Super League. They've just bowed out of Europe or of uh, the Champions League. I think some Pauk fans are fed up with Ferreira, even from last season. If the Super League campaign doesn't turn around the next few weeks, he could be gone. I'm just putting it out there. Don't want to pile on Pauk fans, but they got to start turning up in Greece and they need to turn up in Europa League or he may be gone. Yeah, I I could I agree, especially I mean, even if they give him time in the Super League, if they look like they're going out of that group and not possibly going to the round of thirty two, um, he could be gone. Like and it's a shame because he's not he's not his last season with last season with them he, he was I think he was fine. There were, you know, performances where they just got away with a with a draw and then there was also that that performance against Aris as well. And you know, like I've said to Bark, best of luck to them in the Europa League. Um, I'll give them, I'll give them a positive result, and uh, because my dad will be listening, and he's a Tottenham Hotspur fan, they did beat Tottenham Hotspur a few seasons back in the Europa League. So, um, and Tottenham Hotspur are in the Europa League as well. So, if they get them in the group, they uh, might need to watch out for Bark in that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, now's a good time for us to move on to Ike. That's uh, this is a game from last week. And part of the reason that we saved it for last is because they have an important game coming up. And uh, just to touch on the, the Ike St. Galen game, again, this was from last week. Uh, we do have some uh, player data for this. The game overall was, it was a first half struggle for Ike, even though they did have some opportunities. The goal in the second half came off of a deserved penalty, which is, it was hilarious, the penalty take for me, because Oliveira actually shot the penalty right at the keeper, but he did score the rebound after. It And it's just hysterical because we've seen for Pauk the, the penalty misses or the shots right at the keeper. Do we have any in any of these Greek teams, PK takers, that can take a play a PK on the big stage? I don't know about Valbuena, maybe. But about the about this Ike game, I just wanted to lay the the atmosphere for people who maybe didn't watch it, like myself, I didn't watch it. That Thursday night here in Switzerland was insane. It was like eight degrees Celsius, which for our American followers around 48, 49 degrees Fahrenheit. And it was torrential downpour. It was it was insane. It was just terrible weather and and I, I was watching highlights of the game, and it was like a complete slip fest out there. Players everywhere. Just not something you expect to see in European qualifier matches that typically happen in the summer. But anyway, yeah, continue, please continue. Yeah, just a yeah. side note. No, it, it was tough. It was tough. And I will say this. The, the effort from Ike was, was, was wonderful to watch. 
they kind of reminded me like the Greece Euro 2014 because Sink Island were definitely better on the ball. They were a more composed team, better in possession. But the Ike players, they did not stop fighting. And you're going to see that in some of the player metrics. First of all, Oliveira, I mean, he was, if not the major creator of this game, one of the top two. He was, most of their opportunities came from his individual ball skill. That left, that left back from the, or sorry, the right back that was up from St. Galen, that poor guy must have been crying when the game was over because Oliveira made him look silly nonstop. I mean, just nutmegging, going by him. There was great skill from Oliveira. And he did at least get the rebound for that PK, which saw them win the game. Fought to maintain possession. I mean, the number of duels all of these players got into, they were just constantly pressuring the ball, constantly getting pressured. And Oliveira did very well. I mean, without his individual efforts, they probably don't get into some of the positions they did. They don't come close to winning this game. Another player that had a, a decent game was Kareem Anzarifard. Some of you may remember him. He used to play for Libyakos. Actually was a... Uh, leading one of the leading scorers in the league, competing with Prijevic, uh, ex-Balk striker. Uh, and then kind of over the summer, we cancel his contract and he goes to Nottingham Forest. I had him playing out on that right wing, right mid type of position. He didn't get a lot of touches on the ball. He had three attempted passes into the penalty area. Uh, one was a very a successful through ball to uh, Oliveira amounted to uh, an opportunity and he kind of disappeared in the second half he ended up with a shot assist so first half decent but didn't really do much in the second half at all Nevaya fought for the ball a lot this is a guy that we've you know in our social circle have made fun of a lot for and discussed on the podcast for stuff that he did related to you know just leaving Greece during COVID measures and lockdowns but this, I mean, Levaya fought for the ball nonstop. 44 duels. He got into 44 duels. Levaya did not let anything go away from him without a fight. And he had to fight to maintain possession as well. And it makes sense. With context, Ike were getting sucked deep. They were getting sucked deep, trying to get the ball. And they had to fight for the ball. And then Levaya and Oliveira were getting caught on their own. And they had to use individual skill to create opportunities. Levaya had to do that a lot. And he was successful a good amount of the time. Now, sometimes he lost the ball, especially in midfield, but he had to get out of these situations and did so more often than not. Again, without his individual skill as well, they don't get into some of these dangerous positions. You know, I'm, I was really happy that Ike won this game because I don't know much about St. Gallen and all the Swiss league in general, but I, I just, you could almost see this being just one of those games that Ike lose despite the fact they may or may not be the favourites. And I'm just so glad that they pr they proved me wrong because I didn't, want, again, didn't want them to lose, but I could just so easily see them losing this game. Yeah, I know I mentioned this to the guys um, right before the game. We were discussing the game with St. Gallen, and um, I, I kind of mentioned how I could see this going either way. You know, Carrera has done an all right job for Ike. I think their fans would agree with that sentiment. And if they had lost that game, I think he was done, you know? And I, I, it was so close. That penalty, the Swiss were outraged about, which I didn't really get. Oh, because, yeah. Because I, I watched it a few times, and it seemed like a clear penalty to me personally. But the media here was, like, really upset with um, with uh, Oliveira and the referee and the St. Gallen coach got sent off at the end of the game. It was a strange situation. 
but on a knife edge that game and in the environment that they played in as well it's just anybody can win those games I feel yeah and it wasn't just the coach I mean various training staff I mean I was watching post game just because it was amusing to me and the training staff from St. Gullen did not leave the refs alone they were screaming at them for like 15 minutes after the game was over and by the when they cut the feed they were still yelling at them I mean it was it was very contentious with them and the refs that is so very Greek of them, you know. Well, welcome St. Gallen. Uh, yeah, welcome to Greek Super League. Uh, you can be our northern team. That, that is the most <laughs> Greek thing that I've ever heard of a Swiss football team doing. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Madalos. Madalos had two shot assists. He was playing that 10 role for Ike. Lost most of his offensive duels. He was under a lot of pressure. I thought he did okay. It, he wasn't in a lot of opportunities where he had open people in front of him. So he wasn't super successful on the dribble. But again, two, he had two shot assists and three attempted passes into the penalty area. One, one successful. Not a terrible performance, but he wasn't one of the best on the pitch for Ike. I do want to kind of give a shout out to, you know, the midfield, Ike's midfield. Kristicic and Simoes were all over the place. I mean, when I was talking about earlier that these guys were nonstop, this reminded me of Euro 2004, up and down. I mean, Simoes, 11 interceptions, 11 recoveries, didn't do much offensively. He had, you know, uh, I think one or two long passes, one which was actually a really nice send to Levaya. One, uh, all but one loose ball around him. Uh, defensive duels, okay, not super successful, but we don't care really if the midfielders are super successful. We, we care about the fact that there's 11 interceptions, 11 recovers. He was getting to whatever balls, he was not pressing, and he was pressing a lot. Same thing with Kristasic. 12 interceptions, nine recoveries. He also didn't have any key passes or shot assists, but three passes down the, the left wing in the opposing third, one successful, ran like a dog, also didn't do much offensively, but these two were trying to dispossess St. Galen and get it to some of the more talented players going forward so that I could get something done. Tremendous effort from both of these guys, and not just from the midfield as well. Ike's defense, notably Svarnas. Svarnas had an amazing game. Great defensive performance. 11 interceptions, 16 recoveries, won every loose ball around him, lost only one aerial duel, won two out of five defensive duels when he, when he kind of came out from the defensive third a little bit to try and win some of those balls and challenge. Um, and then even those duels that he lost, by the way, they resulted in back passes. So I would still argue they were successful because even though he might have not gotten the ball himself, he forced a back pass. And then the third duel he lost was uh, uh, shot block. So great game from Spadanas. I mean, he stepped up big time. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly justifying why he should be called up to the national team with those kind of performances. Yeah, he was, I, I, from watching the highlights, like he was great. Like he was just constantly getting in to those, like, to those tackles. And I, I just think, you know, he may not be, the most experienced at that level, at international level or, or, or playing in Europe, but he certainly showed why he can step up for Ike and why, like I said, he can be, play for the national team too. Absolutely. And I think with what we've seen from him and Michalidis, you know what? Just these guys are the young guys. This is the future. Just let them start playing together. Let them build a cohesion. Let them, let them build off of each other and gain some kind of chemistry. They both have looked great in the European competitions against really good teams. I think we just, at this point, let them go and see what happens. 
Yeah, I agree. And I mean, as we've already talked about, Jan van Schip is sort of making it so that there's really not any other choice as far as center backs go. It seems like, you know, Shiova's out and obviously I don't think Manola will be back in the team. But, you know, I think it's a good tri- a good duo at the back and I think they complement each other well with Mikaridis being left-footed, Svarnas playing on the right. You know, I think it's good and I think it's nice for them to get that experience. Yeah, and what I've been seeing from Ike fans too is the seems like there's a new right back in town. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but there's this um, 28-year-old Greek player. I think his name is Stavros Vasilantonopoulos. My God, that's a long name even for Greek. Uh, and supposedly he's been performing well. Um, he played, I think, in the St. Gallen game as well as he played a bit in the league. And it seems like Ike fans are as well are beginning to turn on Bakakis, which as Greek national yes. team fans we can agree about. But Ike have a lot of talent in this squad, you know. Um, maybe at fullback is their weak area when I look at the roster, but the midfield is strong. They brought in Shakov, um, the former Pauk player, of course, who's nothing special, if I remember, really. I, I never really thought so much about him, but a player who knows the Super League. And and then the, the bench is strong. The bench is really strong. Levi Garcia this guy, I don't know if you've seen him, Bright and No Bakar. They signed him from um, from England, I think, off of a free. He was playing in the championship or League One. But he's quite a big player and and fast. And I, I don't know. I think they have a solid squad. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Kareem Ansarifar, who we know very well, is, it's a bit strange hearing him play out on the wing. I, I, I will admit I haven't, I haven't watched a night game and I... I, I missed the St. Gallen game. I'm definitely going to be watching tomorrow night. But, yeah, the, the team looks like it has talent this year. And um, I, I don't know about Ansari Ford on the wing, but it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they could maybe do something against Wolfsburg. I don't want, don't know if we're jumping ahead, but it could be interesting. Fun fact about Vasil Antonopoulos, he actually spent last season on loan at the same Polish team where Yanis Masuras was loaned out, or is currently loaned out this year. So maybe Yanis Masuras wow. can actually develop. Maybe the Polish treatment will work again. Uh, and also, this is a player who was formerly of Baron Smirnis and then was signed by Ike and then has been loaned out to Lamia and other teams. And maybe this is the year that he finally gets his first shot with the senior team, obviously. You know, he's 28 years old, so maybe a bit old to be loaning out and hoping he improves. But, you know, I guess if Olympiacos are going to be signing, what, 26-year-old wingers and then loaning them out for two years or whatever has happened, you know, maybe Vasil Antonopoulos has the, uh, the same fate in his future. Quickly jump on what Lambros was saying about um, Ajax player Bright, Anno Bakker. He, um, he's actually uh, a former Wolves player, and he was on loan um to a number of clubs at certain levels in in England and in Scotland with Kilmarnock and that's where he's come from basically um so that's a good pickup from from them and he's quite he's quite young as well so he has time to develop too yeah and kind of you guys have already touched on some of the strengths now of Ike and, and some of their young players um I did some pretty in-depth analysis of Wolfsburg um, the games that they played in Europe, as well as their their two Bundesliga games. And I think I, especially given what we've seen from Wolfsburg in the last at least week, I think they have a real shot. I, I think there's hope. You know, obviously after Bauk losing, I'm in some despair, but I still think there's some hope here. 
Uh, just to give the, the listeners a little information about Wolfsburg, he's co- they're coached by a guy named Glasner Oliver. Uh, this is a second year coaching Wolfsburg. He was brought in last year. Uh, he took them to seventh in the Bundesliga, and he's kind of started off a little bit rocky. He's, you know, he's he in, in the friendlies, the team looked good. He's beaten the teams he's supposed to beat in Europe. But the two draws to start the Bundesliga have been a little bit concerning to Wolfsburg fans. Uh, he, they tied 0-0 uh, with Bayer Leverkusen and 1-1 with Freiburg. And I'll be honest with you, I was fortunate to be able to actually watch full replays of both games. And they should have lost both games. Leverkusen's a better team than they are. Even though they, I thought they went a little bit better head-to-head with Leverkusen, they still deserve to lose that game. Leverkusen's a better team, and so is Freiburg. Right now, Wolfsburg are very lucky in terms of their, their shot conversion because in two games in the Bundesliga, they've had 17 shots with only three on target. And, of course, one of those on-target shots ended up being a goal. Um, so their shot conversion is terrible, and their striker is – he's really nothing to write home about. He's definitely – a prototypical, you know, poacher. He just kind of, he's very physical, very tall, uh, can get ahead on the ball and score here and there, but he's nothing to write home about. And their team just kind of feels a little bit disjointed. They've been dabbling with different formations just to start the season. 4-1-4-1 against Bayer Leverkusen, then changed up the players. And against Freiburg, they played a, you know, a a 4-2-3-1. So it's, uh, it's very weird. They're kind of experimenting with some of the new players they've brought in. But I'm not overly impressed, and I think Ike has an opportunity to steal a point here. You know, that's really good to hear, Adi. I think it's funny. Wolfsburg are, you know, a pretty well-known German side. They've obviously produced some really good players in their day, but I certainly wouldn't – I hadn't done the research into them, and it's nice to know that, you know, there might potentially be a chance here. Adi, what would you say are, like, some keys of the game for Ike? Like, if there were some things that Ike would need to do, you know – what would you say maybe like the the, the top three or four things uh, for Ike would be? So this, I'm going to be drawing in terms of the keys of the game, what I saw from their Bundesliga games and then their their recent 2 nothing victory against Desna. Uh, you know, they're... Now, whether this is a key of the game or not, I mean, they Ike is going to need some individual skill from Levaya and Oliveira for this win. I'm just being honest. They're going to need their midfielders to work like dogs again. They will have to be very good winning the ball and dispossessing Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg is very easy to frustrate. And both Freiburg and Bayer Leverkusen did it. So did Desna. And Desna, they had a... Even though Wolfsburg scored in the first half, they had trouble scoring against Desna again until the red card against Desna came in. So they're easy to frustrate. And when they get frustrated, they foul a lot. They get a lot of yellow cards. And then they have to play very passive. They have to play a little bit more relaxed. So the key for Ike is going to be, one, you know, Levaya Oliveira, individual skill, there is going to be needed for them to break out because Wolfsburg is a better team still. Madalos needs to be way more successful in execution in that offensive third. He's got to be better about picking his holes, and he has to be much better about holding the ball. If they're going to have any success, it has to be done uh, in, in that area. Unless the midfield is playing almost perfect again, I don't see much success, especially in the midfield. Finally, the key with the defense and, and dealing with Wolfsburg, they are horrible in terms of their shot accuracy. Against Desna, they had 18 shots, but two on target. And of those two on target, two goals. Don't let them get shots in and around the penalty area. 
deflect the pressure wide. Freeberg did it. Bayer Leverkusen did it. You do that, they're forced to rely on their crosses and then, you know, uh, working in the box with their poacher. That's going to be how Ike wins this game, if they can stick to this. Yeah, and I think you brought up some great keys to the game. Um, just from past experience and from what I know of Wolfsburg, um, our American audience will know their star defender, John Brooks, very well. American international, of course. Um, a player who I think... Uh, I don't follow the American national team, surprisingly. I hate to admit that. But I think a player who is trying to get back in the team or has been around the team, it, it's he, he's had a difficult case with Jurgen Klinsmann when he left. Also, another danger man is the left back, the French player, Roussillon. I think he's been linked to some big clubs. Um, and the striker you brought up, actually, I know quite well. Um, his name is Workhorst. Workhorst, I think he's a Dutch international and he's quite a controversial player, actually, in the Netherlands. Um, he was just scoring a ton of goals um, out in Germany, and the Dutch national team was calling for a striker. And to be honest with you, the Dutch national team is still calling for a striker. That's this one they were rotating with Bas Dost and um, throwing Promes up top. So he was kind of seen as like the option, came in, didn't really do much. So... He has goals in him. He may not be a, that impressive this year, but I, I think he's a decent player. So I can Svarnes will have to look after him as well. It's going to be an interesting game. Definitely. And I mean, Wilkors didn't, he really didn't look good in any of these games. And they even against Freeburg, they benched him um, for, a, a di I hope I'm saying his name right, Ginchek. I believe, I believe that's a, uh, another German international, uh, 29 years old. But they're, they're, they're clearly frustrated with him and his, and his output because they did bench him. They tried a different striker who also didn't look so good. Again, Wolfsburg, a bad Wolfsburg is still very competitive and still going to be very difficult for Ike to play against. But there's an opportunity here, right? They're in a bad slump. They've, they've drawn their last two games. You know, there's an opportunity here. Again, like I said before, Ike's going to need a little bit of that individual miracle work from guys like Levaya, from guys like Oliveira. You know, they, they're, the midfield's going to have to stay compact. They're going to have to keep winning those balls, disrupting the play from Wolfsburg. Because if you thought St. Galen was good working the ball around, German teams, you know, they might not be super interesting to watch all the time, but they're pretty technical. And they can keep possession and pass the ball around and, and move. They're well-oiled machines usually. So... That's what they're going to deal with. But there's an opportunity here. Again, diffuse pressure to the wings, work the counter, and let's see what we get. Uh, yeah, just to kind of jump on what you guys have been saying, I agree with all of what you've been saying. For me, this is quite an unfamiliar Wolfsburg side. Um, but that shouldn't be something to be underestimated. They are still t a fairly top team in Germany. Um, you know, always challenging for those European places. Um, and I just have to be aware of them and make sure that they don't get, go in and score early. And, you know, I guess have to be the ones to, to yeah. score early to get that 1-0, go 1-0 up, maybe score a second if possible. But it's going to be a tough game for Ike. Wolfsburg are, are a top team. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, with Bog's loss, you know, we don't get our bonus points for having another Greek team in the Champions League group stage. So getting a win from Ike here just for the coefficient, you don't get any bonus points for getting into, 
the Europa League group stage. But at least we get the points for the win, which will put us very close to, it'll get us pretty close to Serbia at least. Now, hopefully if the remaining teams lose tomorrow, you know, that Ike win gets us obviously even a little bit closer. Um, unfortunately, uh, Nijilin lost today, Danish team. Uh, they beat Slavia Praha, which is helpful because obviously, you know, we want to have some ground on Czech teams who are behind us. The Czech uh, league is behind us in the coefficients. But we really needed the Danish teams to lose because we are fighting with them to get to that 15th spot. Some other games you guys can watch out for tomorrow that have a direct effect on our coefficient. Young boys, it would be nice if they lost because Switzerland, even though we passed them, the, you know, if they win, it could just as easily flip back. Dynamo Zagreb, Croatian team, they're behind us. Red Star, Serbia, they're still in front of us. They're playing Ararat, which is an Armenian team. Mm, probably going to beat them, but it would, you know, I, again, as Olympiacos fans, I don't want to say anything bad for uh, our Orthodox brothers, but if they lose, it does help us with Ser the Serbian coefficient and catching up. Uh, Victoria Plzen plays Hapo Bersheva. They're probably going to win that. Basel's playing Siska Sofia. That could be tough. That could be tough. Basel's a very good team, though. They're expected to win that. It would be really nice if Copenhagen could lose to Rijeka. As many of you know, Zeka, Greek international, does play for Copenhagen, even though I don't want to wish him, or even though I would like to wish him well, I'd rather him lose. Again, we need to catch up with the Danes. Ike Wolfsburg, don't need to say anything about that. Then we have Slobon Liberec versus Apoel. Steven, I'm sorry, but we need Cypriot teams to lose so we can overtake them in the 15th position. It's fine. Position. I have no, I have no, uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see some Cypriot teams qualify, but I have no kind of bias or non-bias to Cypriot sides when it comes to Europe. I don't have a Cypriot team I support, but, you know, best of luck to Abuel. We'll see what happens. I mean, you know, Omonia are now in the Europa League. It'd be interesting to see if Abuel can do the same thing. Yeah. And again, uh, you know, the, so those are the games to watch out for that have a direct effect on our coefficient. Again, I'm going to shout out from Reddit, um, the Greek footy subreddit. Uh, user Mesartik has a very nice coefficient report. Check it out. Check the table. See where we are. He updates it constantly. He's going to update it after tomorrow. And give him a like. Uh, I don't think he – or I think he might have a Twitter as well. Give him a follow there. He has a, it's a really nice report, very informative. And follow those games tomorrow, and we're going to wish Ike the best. Yeah, certainly go Ike. And Thursday, September 31, which hopefully is when this episode drops, and it may have happened already by the time you're listening to this, but Champions League group stage draw, absolutely massive stuff. I don't want to go too into it because it really only concerns Olympiacos. And, you know, we could literally sit here for hours and talk about all the combinations of teams we could get. But quick breakdown, Olympiacos are in pot three or pot C or whatever you want to call it. Basically the third best grouping of teams the way it works is each group there are eight groups has a team from each pot drawn so as to sort of make them relatively balanced now of course this doesn't work perfectly in pot one usually the best teams of course Bayern who won the Champions League Sevilla who won Europa League are in there but even in pot two we've got Barcelona who despite sort of going through what they're going through right now it's Barcelona we've got Atletico Madrid We've got Manchester City, we've got Dortmund, Chelsea, United. So theoretically, we could see a group where we've got Bayern or Real Madrid or Juve or PSG or Liverpool. And then we also have one of those teams like Barcelona, City, United, blah, blah, blah. 
hopefully that doesn't happen. We could, you know, I think the best case scenario might be teams like Zenit from pot one or, and then a team like Ajax or Shakhtar Donetsk from uh, pot two. The good news is I'm not going to go over them all individually, but pot four, which is supposed to be the lowest group of teams is generally, you know, I'm not really afraid of any of them. So hopefully worst case would be that we go to Europa League, but I really want to see this team try and shoot for the round of 16 this season, but we can get into that later. I, I assume that will be a topic of this weekend's episode when, you know, we're talking more Olympiacos based. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly jump on what you said, Peter. Like, I saw Zenit St. Petersburg in part one, and I just thought, how on earth did they get there? Like, no disrespect to Zenit fans, but I, I, think... I don't know how they were in part one. Like, it was, I just found that rather strange. And, you know, if, if we can get Zenit St. Petersburg, like, again, like, this is just theorizing, but if we could get Zenit St. Petersburg as the potential pot, like, top draw for us in a group, that, that would be ideal. They're very much a beatable side for us, in my opinion. So I think Zenit get in automatically to pot one because they won the Russian league. Like, I think the way yeah, it works is correct. Champions League winner, Europa League winner, and then the winners of, like, the top six or seven leagues. So obviously Liverpool, mm -hmm. PSG, yeah. Juve, and then Zenit get in. And then I think Porto also get in off of winning the Portuguese league, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yes. So that is basically the Sevilla round of where those. the Europa League winners. Yeah, Sevilla win the Europa League, exactly. And then after that, it's just ordered by the club coefficients, which are basically the club mm -hmm. version of what we've been talking about over and over again in this podcast. So, of course, we are the third group because, you know, obviously some of the bigger teams are in the second group and Olympiacos obviously individually winning games improves their coefficient as well as a club. So that's also something to keep an eye on. Yeah, so guys, to kind of wrap this podcast up, I don't know if you guys have the list up with you, but how about we make a group or teams we want to see uh, to to kind of wrap this podcast up? Peter, for you you first, do you have any teams you want to see, a group you would like to see? As in an Olympiacos group? Um, yeah, I, I'll just say... Yeah, you, go ahead. Let's go Zenit. I'm going to go Ajax. And Lambro, I know you're a big Netherlands guy and a big Ajax guy, but I mean, this is this is far removed from the team that was in the Champions League semifinal almost two years ago. I think yep. we wouldn't have much trouble with Ajax. So I'll say Zenit, Ajax, Olympiacos. And, you know, I really don't know a lot about all these group te group uh, four teams, but I'll say Ferenc Varos uh, is one that, you know, I haven't really heard much about from Hungary, but um, I think really it doesn't matter who we get from pot four. I think that should be a team that we beat pretty much whoever it is. The teams I'm most really afraid there are maybe Marseille, uh, obviously just from playing in a big league, but there's some stuff going on with Marseille and uh, Rennes also from France. They've got one of the best young midfielders in all of world football right now, but I don't really know much about them otherwise of the team. So I don't really think pot four matters that much. I will controversially say I would like to play Chelsea because I think considering how they've played recently in the Premier League, not just because it's Chelsea and it'd be great to see an English side play a Greek side, <laughs> um, they are, they're struggling defensively at the moment and I feel like that's something that we could capitalise on. So I, I, would, I would be interested if we could potentially get Chelsea and also, like I said before, either one of Zenit or Porto would be ideal for me from part one. And then congratulations to uh, Ferenc Varos, first time in the, in the, in the Champions League slash European Cup in 25 yep. years. Massive qualification for them. 
Um, and yeah, the, the team I wouldn't want to get in pot for is weirdly Club Brugge, Club Brugge because they just, for some reason, we always struggle against Belgian sides for the most part, as in the last few years. And then also Borussia Mönchengladbach for me are a bit of a, a, bit of a tough one. Um, but yeah, for the vast majority of pot four, I would be fairly comfortable with. Steven, I don't know if uh, we covered this last time, but my my English team is Chelsea. I, I you're not wrong. I, uh, I just I just didn't appreciate hearing that because it reminded me <laughs> Marcus Alonso exists, and I just really wanted to just forget about that. But I mean, honestly, we were talking about it before the episode, just the three of us, and I was thinking to myself, like, sort of thinking as a Chelsea fan, I would be scared to get Olympiacos. Like that's a team that that's a game that I could see Chelsea losing, and obviously. You know, the, the English media, of course, would paint that out as, like, Chelsea blew it. Um, you know, I, I mean, I could very much see Olympiacos winning. That's certainly one of the teams I would prefer to get from from uh, pot two. Like, you're right. There are some, some issues there. Hopefully, Marcus Alonso will be fired into the sun by the time that game is played. Uh, and and Tiago Silva, the 36-year-old veteran center back we signed for cerebral presence, won't be giving the ball away for it's probably a bad, probably wrap up the podcast at this point. I'm, I'm getting a yeah, little upset. Yeah, you want to go and then I'll finish um, it up. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, it's not what I want. What I want never happens. So I'm going to tell you what we're going to see because what I never want always ends up happening. It's going to be Juventus. Then we're going to get Manchester City from pot two. Oh, and then in, in pot four, we're going to get Borussia Mönchengladbach or whatever, the, the, however you say it. That's what we're going to get. It's going to be awful. It'll be another group of death. That's what we're going to see. You heard it here first. Okay. You want a more hopeful uh, message? I formed this perfectly. So from group one, pot one, we're going to take FC Porto, and it will be Martins going back to Portugal, beating a Portugal team, and his name lights up the Portuguese media. Pot two, we go and we grab Ajax, my, the team of my mother, my Dutch team, uh, my mother's from Amsterdam, so I have a soft spot for Ajax. And then it's us. And then in pot four, we take Marseille, which is a massive French club. Here in Geneva, for some reason, it's huge. All you see is guys in Marseille, tracksuits, Marseille, blah, blah, blah. So I'd love to stick it to them and beat Marseille as well. So that's the group I want to see. People forget that Marseille is the club that Matthew Valbuena, I believe, once represented for quite some time, if I'm not mistaken, uh, earlier. Oh, that's another career. fun angle, actually. That's big, a fun angle as well. moments yeah. for Valbuena returning to Marseille. And current club of one, Gostas Mitroglou as well. If he oh. plays, I doubt he'll be there <sighs> by then, but... The revenge <laughs> game of Mitroglou. Imagine. <laughs> Protein bar in hand. I had no, to but... break some. I had to burst some unfortunate bubbles from uh, one of the Marseille Twitter people. They were they did a <laughs> poll about whether or not they would bring Valbuena back. I was like, sorry, we're not giving we're not giving him <laughs> up. But yeah, so so that would be my group. So I think that 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 about wraps wraps up the podcast with with our groups. Yeah, and Stephen, obviously, uh, always a pleasure to have you on. And thanks again for coming by. You know. What's what's already said has been said, but for folks who maybe didn't listen to the uh, the first time that you came on, uh, if if you want to promote anything, whether it's how us football or tell people where they can catch up with you on social media, uh, you know, now's a good time. Yeah, sure. So as um as I've said before, and as Christian said as well, um, 
in the previous podcast. It's at Hellas Football, uh, sorry, at Hellas Footy on Twitter, and it's the same on Instagram. Uh, my um, Twitter handle is at Steve Conturu. That's K O U N T O U R O U. Massively long surname because you know Greek Cypriot and all that. Um, and also my Instagram handle is um, at dat Cypriot boy, with which is spelled D A T C Y P R I O T dyslexia. Um, boy is spelled B O I because of yes. course it is because you're so edgy. That's why we love it. Uh, oh yeah, you know it. <laughs> all right. Well. That's that's great, and uh, you know we'll be sure to continue keep in touch with Hellas Football. I know we have some other guests coming on from them, and you know, listeners, don't be surprised if you're hearing from Stephen again on the pod sometime soon. Obviously, you know we've yet to actually discuss Olympiakos in a solely Olympiakos episode, so maybe that will have to happen at some point as well. I'm very sure I'll be back for that. <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, uh, I know this has been a long one, but we really wanted to make sure that we gave time to every single team. We didn't want to just talk about Olympiakos and then spend like five minutes on Pauk and five minutes on Ike. Obviously, we know that people come here for all the different games and whatnot, and some people just want to keep up with Greek football in general. So we're trying to make sure that we can give that to the community as much as possible. Thank you all for listening, especially if you've made it this far. We are continuing to push out content for you guys, and we're continuing to be welcome to feedback. So feel free to DM us anywhere on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. You can follow us at gate7intl if you aren't already. And uh, also feel free to leave a review. I think, you know, we've gotten one or two uh, reviews on Apple Podcasts. Maybe we'll start reading them out live on the pod in case people want to, you know, want to see the reviews read out. That could be a fun little thing that we do. And uh, aside from that, I think that's about it. So from four different countries today and, and two different continents. We, uh, we wish you well, and we will see you soon.